We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? We have a fun show for you today. Myself and Andrew Spade get together for the opening where we hit on three, I think, pertinent topics off of the film study. Uh, we discuss those things uh, pretty in depth, and then from there, you'll get your all twenty-two comprehensive breakdown as well. Now, things have to be quick because the audio for this was lost the second half of the podcast. That's why this is late. There was a a sort of malfunction with our hosting software, so this will be a, a quick all twenty-two breakdown at the end. But nonetheless, we'll cover all the details you need covered. And as we get started, you'll hear the brand new audio for the week six with Andrew Siciliano shouting out a couple of big plays as it was really cool to have him in the box substitute color guy for the game. So that was unique, really cool. And he did a fantastic job. Mike Skinner, again, find all of his information. If you want to hire him for your audio needs, that link is in the description of this podcast. So take advantage of that. Hire Mike. You won't regret it. Now let's get going with our latest OBR film breakdown, going into the nitty gritty details of your Cleveland Browns 19 to 17 win over the San Francisco 49ers. Heavy Harrison Bryant now under center. Bryant hits left. Kareem Hunt, 50, first down 10. Hunt at the 5. Hunt into the end zone. Snap is down. The kick is up. The kick is no good. It's no good. And the Browns will beat. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Tuesday podcast. It's me. It's Andrew Spade. We are going to go through some thoughts that the two of us have had looking at the game now, both of us checking out the All-22, and then sort of just what we do is we take in the reaction of others and see sort of how that makes us react based on what we thought of the game. So that's a little bit of what we're going to be doing here in the opener. We have three topics we're going to try to hit on these things and aim for 20 minutes before we get over to the nitty-gritty detail of the comprehensive breakdown. But yeah, let's um let's first welcome Andrew in. Uh, as always, Andrew, I, I appreciate your company. What's up, man? Oh, Jake, just watching a uh, poorly played Monday Night Football game between the Cowboys and the uh, Chargers. Um, it's not been fun to watch, but I am watching it. That's what I'm doing. I feel like there's a lot of those games that are happening yeah. right now yeah. because offenses are lagging behind. It still it's feels rough. like is mm-hmm. we're watching some rough offense here. We watched yeah. some rough offense uh, defense driven in the Browns mm-hmm. game. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but like 
yeah, these that's that's the yin and yang. Like defense is is it's cool that defense is making a comeback in the way that it's truly dominating the league. Yeah. But there's this part of the game that isn't pretty when defense is dominating. Now the Browns have a way of sometimes making defense look pretty right now, but uh, it's just not as like, Oh man, turn on Monday night football, man. We got a real defensive slugfest going on right now. And like, you know, people aren't really all too into that. And especially because I'm sure Andy, you would agree with me. It's fantasy driven and people want fantasy points. For and sure. There's all that, yeah, all that stuff uh, that ties in, but yeah, it's uh, it's not a pretty game. And I think these are two talented teams, the chargers and Cowboys who are, I should say talented players uh, on those teams, but the, mm-hmm. the collection of the parts largely because of the coaches, I don't really think those two are going anywhere. I think they're sort of toiling uh, until they get the right direction. You know, I'm out on Mike McCarthy. I've made that abundantly clear. Yeah. And we've both been out on Brandon Staley for two years now. I, I, I tweeted this. Uh, he, he had a fourth and one, or I guess the chargers had a fourth and one. They went four down in the red zone and uh, they didn't pick it up and had this weird, uh, they rolled Herbert out. So, you know, he only had like really two options on the play. And uh, I noticed that Staley does this thing every time he's ever uh, screwed up a fourth down call or it hasn't converted. Whenever the camera finds him after the, it goes poorly, he's walking away from the camera at like full speed. Like he just remembered that he forgot something. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it feels that way. Like he's just like, Oh, that was in the other room. And he just takes off, you know, like he's, (laughs) Like he forgot the remote or something like that, you know, it's, and it's never fails that he's like walking intently. It's like, there's not that much room on the sidelines, man. You can't be, you can't really fool me that you're going for like a hot dog or whatever. So I, I, it feels a little bit like he's kind of like walking it off or something, but it's, he's just, I like having him in the league because it's fun. It's so much fun to just kind of watch the hijinks on a weekly basis. I was out on Staley for a long time and then fully out when he pulled that stunt in Cleveland. Was it last year when he gave the Browns a real chance to win that game? Yeah, that was last year. Yeah, that was awful. Mm -hmm. And and I understand that the little Baldwin meter said blah, blah, blah. You you made the Browns go with the backup quarterback the whole field. You never give them a chance to get one first down and kick a winner. So it was like, oh, Staley. Uh, One of a kind, that guy. Anyway, uh, I think we're probably talking about two coaches that – <laughs> might not be here next year so yeah maybe there's anyway. switch places who knows yeah it's not the strangest outcome let's talk about the browns so three things that we wanted to hit on was first uh, a conversation around grant delpit so yeah a big talking point from some folks who are uh, on the opposite end of the andrew barry spectrum will say he's never drafted a pro bowler i mean we're six weeks in five games in i think they're trending toward you know some pro bowlers from recent drafts so um pushing in that direction and and I think that, you know, we've seen from Delpit, the, the Ravens game wasn't great. None of them were very good in that game, to be honest. But uh, from the from the looks of the season, losing Grant Delpit next year, and I know that's what good teams have to eventually do. I'm fully aware of that. You you, you can't sign everybody back. But you got to start having some conversations with his representatives. You, you agree with that, or do you think you need to see more of a prolonged sample? Well, I think the, the, the idea here is you try and get in – well, you can, you know, and try and save a little bit of money by committing now, because I think I've seen enough to think that it's worth trying to to get in there before he if he goes at this rate for the entire season, he's he's he might be setting the market the way he's playing. Right. If he makes a Pro Bowl, the Browns go to the playoffs and, you know, he has like a, a you know, a, a, a good game in the playoffs, like the the price tag is going to be very, very high. What he did to George Kittle yesterday when you watch that back 
I mean, it's as complete of a game as you can play as a safety doing, fulfilling those responsibilities and, and being reliably where he needs to be in coverage. And then at the same time, filling in the run, switching that flip so quick or flipping that switch so quickly and getting to where he needs to be for the run and, and really beyond where he needs to be. He was in the backfield a lot. So that combination of those two things, it's like, there's not many safeties that can do that. And, you know, I, some of the, you, you can ask the question, is it just the scheme, blah, blah, blah. But man, I think this is everything that we thought he could be as a player. And we're kind of seeing it all come together at once. You know, obviously I'm going to talk about grades, performances individually a little bit later, but looking at pro football Focus's laughable grade of Grant in this game, I, I couldn't, I mean, I've, there have been a lot of times, Andrew, where I have watched a game, thought a player played well and, or vice versa. Sure. And then looked at a grade and been, you know, confused. This is the most confusing grade from a game I have ever seen. And I, I'm not being hyperbolic on that at all. I think Grant was phenomenal. Um, to your point, I am interested in the early discussions with him. And I don't even know if we can even label these early because you're mid season in a contract year, right? So, but like, does, does Wyatt Teller scare them? Has some of what's happened with, with Denzel's down year last year, scare them a little bit. Like, I'm just, I'm curious if some of these guys, they have tried to get in a little bit early on, if they're a little like, nervous maybe like you would rather franchise tag him because we think we can do uh just need to see more i i don't know i'm just uh i i'm i know andrew barry's theory is extend early right that's the general philly way and all of that that he's he's lived in and uh, bought into a lot of the ways that they operate so uh i believe grant is a guy i would like to have here for another contract yeah. but i also am interested to see the hastiness by which they operate pursuing that because i think he is a wildly integral part of what they're doing and i thought he played really well on sunday despite what the people who sit sit there and grade the games uh think so on, on that end you make a great point about that they should probably proceed with caution right uh i just you know looking it up the franchise tag for this season for a safety is 14 and a half so you figure next year it'll be 15 16 somewhere in there probably Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that they can do that probably with, with the, you know, the cap space that they have and the flexibility that they've afforded themselves with all these restructures. But, uh, you probably don't want to have to pay, you know, 15, 16 guaranteed to that player. You know, maybe if they can move on from Jed Wills, that makes it easier. I, I you know, this gets into a whole other conversation about offseason asset allocation. I think that the, 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 it's the thing where if you could get him at enough of a discount, then it's almost, that kind of encapsulates some of the risk that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, if you could get him for a longer term deal that, that minimizes his cap hit over the next few years, you you're buying some of that risk and that is okay. Really. If you have, if the deal is constructed in a way that there's outs, this is assuming that his representation is even interested in that. They might see this as an opportunity for him to keep playing at this incredibly high level and, and go to the open market and get the Jesse Bates contract. Right. Like, yeah. W- yeah. We're asking for something we don't know if they'll even do or exactly. maybe they've already done. Right. They maybe they've already had these conversations Precisely. and they're like, yep. well, we're not seeing that the same direction. I would just say that you and I, if we were making this decision, we would say, hey, let's give the the agent a call and let's see what they're expecting and what we could potentially work up. Because yeah. I think he's that he's that he's that good. He's a guy I would franchise. Yes. I would think that if he keeps playing well, to your point, his people would know that would be on the table as a potential move, because I don't. You know, there's like Zadarius, there's some veterans, but there's not like a young talent coming up that 
you know, is that, is that quite that risky? JOK is another year away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's conversations to be had there. So, you know, Delpit combo, like, again, if I'm looking out stretching this a little bit, Andrew is like, you know, Delpit's a guy I'd like to have a second contract. I feel pretty good about a second contract with JOK. I don't know what that looks like, right? but I feel pretty good about a second contract with him. Um, you know, I, yeah. I think it's to be determined on Greg Newsom a little bit. Probably a good thing that he has an option year uh, on that. <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll leave it at that. Fifth yeah. year helps in that regard a little bit. Yeah. But there are some guys here from those draft classes. The first one that Barry took over that you do feel pretty good about. They're they're, you know, massively important players to the current operation Put it mm-hmm. that way. They have some options, you know, and I, I yeah, to your point, this is about just recognizing what Grant Delpit has done more than more than I want to really like dig into the contract talk. It's, it's about the player that he was and, and the, the, you know, sort of disappointing production or lack of production that we saw at times mm-hmm. and the player that he's become. And I just think he deserves a ton of credit for that because you see this often. I mean, especially as Browns fans, we've seen this for years and years, a player struggles to find his fit initially, can't find it, starts to push, starts to guess, the confidence suffers and then he doesn't just cannot rebound. And and I think Grant deserves a ton of credit for going through those struggles and it, it seemingly coming out the other side, a much stronger and, and honestly a very confident player, the way he, the way he uh, is in the right place. I, w- I don't want to say guessing, right? But he trusts his instincts is what I should say. He, he obviously yeah. is trusting his instincts, trusting what he sees. And that sort of confidence is really encouraging to see from a player who at other times in his career with Cleveland has been in the wrong place. So it's great that he's kind of come through that whole period of time and and it seems to be a better player for it. Yeah. Two things off of that. One is the the point you're making about guys who are clearly talented, never finding it here, losing confidence, pressing, pushing, falling out, not getting another. And then they go somewhere else and they figure it out. Right. That's the thing that's really frustrating. And usually it's between regimes, those washouts that happen between that's not my guy. Right. So for Grant to go from, you know, this hyper-talented LSU safety to tear an Achilles, take a year to really come back, and then like last year hit his stride. You could see it. You could sense it. For him to maintain that uh, athletic ability off of a, an Achilles tear, not lose much. And mm-hmm. I don't think he's lost anything. For him to, I think at points, has gotten better from the weaknesses. that he, I mean, coming out, <laughs> you talked about Grant Delpit coming out. The biggest concern was his tackling. That's right. And he has shut that down to a very, very high level. Um, and is a large part of the biggest strength of his game is the ability to play in the box. Mm-hmm. Whereas coming out, you thought this guy was going to be more of a rangy single safety type where uh, it's an exciting fit. And like, again, kind of go back to like this conversation you had about safeties when you have this, these guys can play anywhere. Conver- no, they have very rigid safety structure right now. And that's great. Mm-hmm. You have two guys who can play down in, in McLeod and, and Delpit. And then you have a true free safety in, in Thornhill. We'll get into some of this stuff later. But, like, yeah. I'm just really encouraged by the positioning of those guys, making guys, someone like Grant um, comfortable in playing at things that are his NFL strength. And kudos to Grant for maintaining that LSU arrogance that you need to be really good in the league. He, you know, even those struggles early on, you, know, you tear an Achilles, like you lose some confidence. You, the first year back from exactly. that, you lose some confidence. No, he's he's kept the pre, he's kept the heat on and – become the player that we hoped he would be. And that's, that's, you know, he's a second round talent. Like he's, he's a real dude. And I hope that he keeps, keeps it around Cleveland and and gets better. So, um, you know, we wanted to give Grant some love because I think it's, it's deserved. The other thing we wanted to hit on was this, this, uh, 
you know, when, when the Browns have a win, a big win mm-hmm. over a widely respected team, I think guys who cover the local market try to check and sniff around what the, what the, what the bigger market people, you know, what the national perspectives are. And I have to say, and I, I know that you brought this idea up originally, and I have since sort of looked around and uh, found some of the similar stuff here about, you know, it seems like most of these people are saying this was more a 49ers loss than a Browns win. And while I understand that, right, I understand where they're coming from. The large part of the equation here for the 49ers loss is they're saying injuries. They're saying, well, the 49ers lost, you know, they lost uh, Debo Samuel relatively early, and then they lost Christian McCaffrey in the into the fourth quarter. I think people are saying McCaffrey was like done in the second quarter, maybe because he didn't do anything. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like he was a non-factor in the second and third quarter. So maybe people thought he left after the productive first quarter he had. I'm unsure on that, Andrew, but he was there through the third quarter. So it wasn't like they lost him for the entire game or even a half of the game. They lost him for a quarter of the game, but this has been the prevailing thought. And I think you've seen like Bill Barnwell, ESPN, uh, Ben Solak had mentioned something specifically uh, from the ringer about you know, it's a bad time to have these injuries happen. And then like he's saying, Brandon, Ayuk played his worst game of the year. I, I mean, I understand some of where they're coming from here, Andrew, but you know, we could talk about the schematic stuff around that. I thought the Browns defense dictated more of the outcome than these players not being on the field, because in the th- second and third quarter, as that team struggled, the Browns were dictating things. They were playing that man coverage that was giving them fits and the pressure was getting home and impacting things before receivers downfield could make a play or McCaffrey could make some sort of decisive run. And I feel like when you say injuries and you ignore what's going on with the Browns, I feel like that's a little bit of a slap in the face. So the question is, are we being sensitive, right? Like that's, (laughs) that's the fine line we're walking where you want respect. You want people to believe, but it doesn't feel like that's happening. And again, it's the Browns. It's a lot of lingering weight understand that but it feels like there's some of that you know are we being too sensitive or do you think they have a point and i lean that they don't have a point but i'm very curious of your point uh, you know your thought process on this it's interesting because you know there, there has been a lot of um sort of big picture respect for what the browns are doing right these these sort of people love the statistics where it's like this is the first time since 1977 that such and such has done such and such right or like you know, the Browns have had the most, uh, you know, whatever, three and outs in any game, you know, like any of those sorts of mosts or leasts or, you know, fewest. People love the superlatives. That's the word I'm looking for, the superlatives, right? But when it comes to like trying to actually dig in and understand, that's where things have been lacking. So they've they've gotten this sort of big picture respect in terms of like, wow, they're, they're really good and at the top of every statistical category. That's cool. But when it comes to like, Looking under the hood, I felt like that was really lacking with this game. And I I think you saw it a little bit, even going all the way back to week one, right? There was, I mean, you know, and I do think these things played a role, right? The Joe Burrow injury played a role. That weird weather, uh, the grocery mist, uh, grocery produce section mister played a role, right? Um, even with, with Tennessee, you know, it's it, Ryan Tannehill, et cetera, et cetera. There ha- I, I just feel like there has been again and again this temptation from national media to kind of look for the reasons the other team struggled rather than what the Browns are doing well, to your point. And I think the stat against about Schwartz being so good against Shanahan, I thought that was going to be the story today. It's like, hey, there's a defensive coordinator in the NFL that has figured out how to kill 
the Kyle Shanahan system and nobody else 49ers have scored 30 points in every other game this year. So it's not like anybody else has really even come close. That feels like the story of the game, right? Uh, Should be. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting story, but I think, you know, and I, I'm not questioning the work ethic of these guys, but I think it's hard when you're covering every game in the league to get to that level of nuanced understanding. Now, maybe as the week goes on, Jake, we'll see some folks kind of come back to this and say, actually, this didn't have much to do with, with McCaffrey's injury because he was running, he was getting contacted in the backfield every play until he left with his injury. That's probably why he left with his injury, frankly, because he got, he got beat the hell up. Yeah. Uh, but, and so maybe we'll see that over the course of the next few days, but as of now, you know, it's Monday evening, the, the first blush reactions have been the injuries, you know, Brock Purdy struggled. And then you've even seen people blaming the weather, which, I mean. I like, was there. The weather is not impacting it that much. It's not by Cleveland fun. standards, it was almost pleasant. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. That That's bananas, man. Now, yeah. is it like it's different than San Francisco? Sure. sure. But that's that's like, that's crazy. I, I mean. Your point is right. The looking under the hood of, of every game, you know, anybody who tells you they're watching every game, you know, I, even the guys who are doing the athletic show who it, it, by the end of the week, you probably could is what I'm saying. Yeah. But you like, got to catch up that, to it that early. Like those guys are even telling you I'm watching five or six games. Right. So right. if you're, if someone's trying to live national perspective, trying to lead you to believe that they're watching every game quickly in the week, like, all right, are you watching it on two speed? Like, how are you getting through that? How many do you locked in a dungeon somewhere? Um, I understand that they they are not going to know. And listen, I've even had, you know, Mina Kimes has been on this show, and the preface she gave me before we started is like, "You're the local expert. I don't know your team the way you do, so expecting me to know more than you is not going to be a great podcast." But answering bigger, broader questions like that's somebody like immediate respect is gained because they can accept their limitations, right? Such a good point. You know, so many people that are doing this will try to definitively speak on a game and their their opinion is spread to the masses in a way that the local people aren't who actually broke it down. So like I understand the time commitment stuff like, you know, on Mondays, man, I from three o'clock till the start of that seven o'clock Twitch show, I'm cutting the offense and defense film and trying to consume it simultaneously. It is it is a lot to take in. And, you know. I understand that they might not know what we know. Hopefully, like you said, they go back and watch it and there's some later in the week sort of perspective stuff. But the things I'm seeing blamed without saying the Browns were fighting at a, at a anytime you're without your starting quarterback is a more steep disadvantage um, among other things is, is kind of silly to me. So uh, I think, again, the credit to me is, to your point, what Jim Schwartz was able to do, the the, the the game plan, the man coverage, the boxed in, outside shade, put him into, inside to two defenders sort of sitting and roaming in the middle and let your pass rush with four wreck havoc on Brock Purdy's timing where he got rid of the ball before he had to, he had to hurry. Let me put it this way. He gets the ball fast. It's like 2.4. It was a 2.6 in this game, and he still felt hurried. That's the thing. That's how long the routes were taken to develop. That's how quick that they were able to get home and impact some of the quicker decisions he was trying to make. Cause on those in breakers, he's trying to throw Andrew. He's trying to just time it. Those guys haven't cut. So like the one he threw behind that Emerson picked off the one that Delpit, I'm sorry, that Newsom should have picked off mm. late in mm-hmm. the game. Like he's just trying to throw those so early. And that's what you're trying to do, man. You're trying to get this quarterback's mental process sped up. And from that, 
the throws become very you have to you have to pinpoint these throws and that's that's really hard in some of the elements of Cleveland Stadium which is a little windy right you know this is a it's a stadium that does if you're not used to it require you to see it open at times to make those throws so um again great game by the Browns and and I what I want to kind of shift to too is the physicality part of this where we watch like, you know, for example, the Cowboys are on Monday night football. The Browns are very rarely on the, on the national stage. Right. So like to me, and you made a, you know, you put a great tweet out today about Sione Taki Taki delivering a real, um, I was just a punch. It's a punch. It's a fit. It's a, it's a shock and shed move to George Kittle on a run play where Kittle left it. Like, I, I think I kind of thinking to himself, I didn't know that dude could do that. Yeah, right. That's what it looked like. And, what I think is jarring is when you see a team like San Francisco come in and they were arrogant. I was there watching them run on the side. They, they were arrogant. They were feeling mm-hmm. themselves as they would five and time anyway. Right on. So when you watch it and then you watch how the Browns were the more physical football team on both sides of the ball, that to me is what's most impressive where Trent Williams gives up the most pressures he's given up because, oh, this is Miles Garrett, mm-hmm. right? Making him look ordinary at times. This is somebody delivering hits like Grant Delpit covering George Kittle all game, blanketing him, yeah. giving up one reception, right? Uh, receiving a bad uh, grade overall, but we'll continue <laughs> to digress. Um, the th- that's the stuff like you watch these teams. How many times, Andrew, have you and I felt like at least we've talked about it? And I know I've said it many times on this pod where you'll watch the Browns play at one o'clock against whoever. And then you'll watch either a four fifteen or an eight o'clock or a Monday night Niners game. And you'll be like, that team looks different. This yep. looks like a different brand of football yep. for them to arrive in Cleveland, the Browns to take the physicality to them, to take the mental part of the game to them. That's really cool. It's really cool. And it tells you they're trying to build confidence as a group, as a defense, trying to get that defense's confidence to spill into the offense. They can they can play with anyone. This is a yes. team that is predicted to be of the four teams that are serious about winning the Super Bowl. They're in the four. And you took it to them with PJ Walker to get a win. Like that should make you feel really good as a supporter of the Cleveland Browns and should give them all the confidence in the world, Andrew, that mm-hmm. they can they can compete, man. And that was just really cool to see, other than like no other way to say it. It's just really cool to see them, these guys who are put on a mantle. In yep. the commercials, yep, all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. nah, the, the Browns gave it to them. Mm-hmm. They gave it to them uh, so. again and again and again throughout the entire game. You go back to the conversation about the national media. That's one of the things that I hope starts jumping off the tape to people that people start seeing because it's it's always it's validating when you hear people that you respect that do this stuff. You know, on a professional level, day in day out, start to see the same things on the tape that you're seeing. I want I you know that physicality is so evident when you when you watch it down after down where the you know where the line of scrimmage I think Dan Orlovsky was talking about this today where the line of scrimmage is and then where the Browns end up on every play defensively right they're pushing them back that's that sort of physicality I you know I when you when Jake when you were talking about we've watched the Browns prior years and all that sort of stuff I flash back to last year uh, really, the last two years, those Patriots games where they got absolutely outmuscled from gun to gun by a less talented but more physical Patriots team, right? Or think about the Miami game last year where they just could not compete in the trenches, especially defensively. That was the game where it became clear 
the coordinators got to go and they got to fix the talent, right? Because they weren't in the same ballpark as that Miami Dolphins team last year. And they, they, I mean, they deserve so much credit for having identified that problem and fixed it in such a comprehensive and immediate way. The, 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 the level of play that they're getting out of everybody that plays on the defensive front. We're talking about guys that have gotten a ton of shit in Cleveland prior to Jim Schwartz showing up. Alex Wright, Jordan Elliott, you know, guys that we thought didn't have a future in Cleveland. We would have been fine seeing them walk out the door. Those guys are, are a part of this, you know, and they, they just like any other player, they have ups and downs, but they're contributing now. And they, that was not what it felt like when you watched them last year. So I just think, but you know, the toughness piece of it informs the scheme piece, because I don't think that the Browns could play schematically the way that they do if they weren't willing to, to literally, I mean, you go back to that pregame fight yesterday, weren't willing to literally fight these guys. That's what, because that's what comes across is they're up for it. Couldn't have said it better myself. They, they, from the moment they arrived in the stadium, we're not going to let people, and they made this decision through the weeks. Stefanski talked about the Thursday practice they had last week was the best he has felt their attitude has been, their uh, general confidence, and it showed. They were not afraid from the first snap, um, you know, rectified some of the things that caught them up a little bit early, and to see, again, you know, I hold Kyle Shanahan in as high regard as any head coach in the business. Absolutely. And to see him have no answers for what they were doing um, because of a, you know, connection of all the elements, right? You know, I think the Browns defense playing exceptional, the, the difficulty of the throws that Purdy was having to make in an environment that he's not used to making them. I think that they could not have played a better game plan for that side of the ball. And they couldn't have executed a whole lot better either. A couple little things here and there on that side, but um, impressive as hell on the, I mean, the offense it's, it's a, quarterback that's not really at that level and you're just mm-hmm. trying to overcome it all the time yep. so I'm not going to worry too much I was encouraged about the running I mean yeah. to be able to put a 160 spot or, or 130 between your two backs yeah um it's impressive to be able to to pull that off because that's a 49ers defense that's healthy I mean Dre yeah. Greenlaw is not out there but I mean Oren Burks isn't terrible he was kind of fine in that game I thought so it's not it's not a massive thing there so you know again I, I was added I was, Randy I was, Gregory I mean yeah they're they're yeah. deep as hell and 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 nasty um, to, to that point, Jake, I, you know, I think the other thing that, that deserves mention here is that the, you know, the Browns were never out of this game. You know, they were down 10 and then they scored a touchdown on that next drive. They were able to keep themselves within shouting distance so that the run didn't go away. And that was so crucial. So I think when we think about the different things that this defense does for the Browns, one of the things is that if they can if they can keep the Browns in a fairly neutral game script and allow them to be balanced offensively running and passing, that plays to the the strengths of Kevin Stefanski as a play caller, right? Where he's able mm-hmm. to call a balanced game because we still haven't seen, you know, and I, I'm not trying to bring things down here, but we still haven't seen a, an all out passing attack really work for the, for the Browns on, on as an offensive game plan. They need that balance. The defense keeping them in these games allows them to find that balance and kind of keep themselves in it so that, you know, even when they were down driving for that last field goal, they're mostly running the ball because they had the time. They're only down, you know, what was that? At that point, they're down one, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's doable. Even when they were down 17-13, they were, the run was still on the table is what I'm saying. And, and really what turned that Baltimore game into a disaster 
was when things got out of touch and they had to just throw it. Couldn't agree more there as well. I mean, you know, we'll see what the offense ultimately becomes. I was kind of encouraged about for sure their ability to adapt some of the, the run stuff. They did some fun, what we call crunch traps and, um, you know, some, some pin pull stuff that was less exotic and just more built on getting on the perimeter quickly and inside zone. They flirted with more of it than they have um, in, in a while. And that you can see that they're not comfortable quite doing it yet, but the groundwork's being laid for like, Oh, they can pick up cheap yards using that scheme. So um, I'm encouraged again, everything, everything resides on Deshaun Watson. You know, you, you careful what you hear with him. We'll see where it ultimately goes, but there's reasons for you as a Browns fan, you know, even though the, the two week stretch there of the bye week was really rough, really hard. I think that there's nothing but encouraging things to say on both sides of the ball. I thought that they, they responded with the right attitude, the right, everything you want your team to be like, they were that. And then they were, very great again on defense and then the offense i know that it wasn't pretty but i mean i'm i'm watching there's a lot of meat on the bone that, that, that i think even watson who hasn't been perfect this year gets them to 27 28 maybe mm-hmm. even 30 points so yeah um it was all right there and i feel i feel okay about you know you i know you and i talked extensively andrew about like what does the offense come out of the bye <laughs> yes, looking like yes. and i thought there were encouraging yeah. moments for some of the things that we were wanting to see yeah, I agree with you, and I think it it definitely if they can get Watson back and he's healthy, especially against a Colts defense that is you know a little shaky, uh, that could be a lot of fun next week in Indianapolis. So looking forward to that. I did want to ask you, Jake, one question, and this is you know this is me getting a little bit weird again, and maybe this is better for later in the week, but I'm I'm thinking of it now. Um, do do you think that pregame stuff is was premeditated at all by the Browns, like? I know that the 49ers kind of put themselves in that situation, but the fact that Kevin Stefanski, I know that he walked away from it after he said, you know, that he wants them to show fight, but I, you know, there was a point in his post-game locker room speech where he kind of referenced the fight as well. And I don't know, man, there's the, there was, I feel like there was maybe a little twinkle in his eye because he was maybe not super disappointed that that happened. I think that he should want that. I don't care. The fight stuff is great. And I know you're not asking that. Do you, do I think it was premeditated? I'm not sure. I think maybe he he maybe wanted to see it. I think maybe he was told about it. You know, the, when, when he was told about the, the question came up, he's like, he basically said he didn't give a shit. He's like, I don't care. Right. We'll see if the league calls me tomorrow or whatever. Mm-hmm. He should want, they, okay, I'm trying to be very delicate with this. They have to change their culture in general, in mm-hmm. perpetuity. Not like one good season here or there. It is still very much, and I don't mean to say it this way because I know it's it's a triggering thing. They're still very much the Browns are the Browns. Like the, <laughs> teams don't respect them the way yeah. they need to be respected based on the talent. So if you have a bunch of talent, guys who have been in winning environments, you need to change it with a pissed off attitude. And I feel like, and I know I said this to you yesterday, maybe. I do think they have brought in some really good thermostat mm-hmm. leadership types mm-hmm. who can help them gain and proactively um, take that confidence to the field in a way that they haven't had in years past. And, you know, everything you, you, you talked yesterday about the results versus process. And like, you know, I sat on that question a lot because I think it's a very interesting question. It really is. It is probably one of the few times in my life where I felt like the result did matter more than the process because, yeah, we would have been encouraged and we would have come on the show and we would have told you, hey, man, these guys fought and mm-hmm. it could have been a blowout and they did. 
this is again, I hope I really want to believe this and we'll see if it continues over the next few weeks. This win can galvanize a season. It can really be a moment where we're sitting here next year and you're like, man, where did they really turn this corner? Oh, it was that game against San Francisco at home. They had no business winning and they won Mm -hmm. like that. You need those. And maybe they stack them. Maybe they go out to Seattle and get a win or they get some other win. And and you can start to see Mm -hmm. like they need to believe that when we're not perfect or when the odds are stacked against us, we can still get it done. So yeah, you know, you could have come out of a bunch of moral victories had that 40 yard kick gone in, but you really needed to see a win and you needed to feel what that felt like. And um, moral of the story is, man, that that result is one of the rare times that the process was not equal to it. And um, I'm happy the result went in in that direction because it, it really has a chance. And, um, you know, this never works out perfectly all the time, but usually with these coaches who find long-term success, you're like, when was the moment that you felt like their team turned the corner Yeah, and you're looking at a moment and this has a chance to be one of those moments. Maybe there are more moments to come. I don't know, but this is the, at least one of them that we can, you know, firmly place a pin in and say, this is uh this is something and they haven't had a something often enough. So encouraged by that, Andrew. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think that really sums it up. Well, I, 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 I definitely, think that is an interesting moment, not just, you know, the, the, the specifics of the scuffle, cause it really didn't amount to much. Right. But, mm-hmm. but then where it went, right. What that led to obviously, and kind of how that seemed to ki- sort of catalyze what happened next for the Browns. They were determined not to be afraid. They, they, yeah. that you're mo- you're talking right, you know, about maybe the Browns, we didn't see it beforehand. And we've only heard accounts from people on like the Brown side of what happened. Maybe they started it and that'd be fine with me too. I'd have no problem with that <laughs> yeah. because you want them to know you're not afraid of them. They rocked the boom box out of the locker room, just like the 49ers are known for. They wanted it to be known. You guys think you're the best in the NFL. You don't view us on the same level. We want that respect. Yep. And they got that respect. They, they should. There you the go. 49ers quotes. If you read those 49ers quotes, they gave them the respect after the game. So yes. um, right on. We're excited about that. So we're going to, Shove that to the side for now. We're going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to remind everybody right now before I forget, midweek mailbag will be tomorrow. So if you have a question, submit it to Twitter, submit it to the OBR um, direct message. You can you can ask those questions wherever you want. You know both of our Twitter handles. You can go to the OBR uh, Film, Film Breakdown uh, Twitter account. You can even just tag us in the tweet. We would yep. love to have those questions. I'll put out a tweet reminder tomorrow, but we will do midweek mailbag. You can get very granular. What did you think of these snaps? What happened on this play? broad, whatever. We'll take any questions. We'll answer those as long as they're uh, thoughtful questions. And then um, we'll be back with Jordan Zerm and Andrew. Uh, We'll return on that one on Thursday as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up with Andrew. I'm going to take a pause though and shift over to the uh, more granular comprehensive breakdown portion of the podcast. So thanks to Andrew for stopping by. And then we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, let's dig into the offense first. So... In this one, from a numbers perspective, um, the Browns ran 11 personnel 50 times. That's still continuing to be a higher number than traditionally for Kevin. They ran 12 personnel seven times, one time with an extra tackle on the field, and then 13 personnel three times, but six more with an additional tackle on the field. So that makes it, you know, a uh, a nine number there. They ran zero one personnel, so more is your um, you know, the additional sort of running pseudo running back. And then you have one tight end. So four wide receivers, one tight end eight times continuing that it will be the highest mark in the NFL. And then they ran zero two personnel one time. So the Elijah Moore usage using four receivers, taking him back off the field like that continues to be really uh, one of the higher numbers 
in the NFL. So that tells you that the Browns do value that player. So we'll see if they can get more out of it. Um, no pun intended. But that player, that versatile role is something Kevin clearly covets. So I don't, you know, personally, I think Elijah Moore is a guy built for more downfield targets. I don't think he's a make you miss close to the line of scrimmage type of player. So with that, again, I kind of tried to pinpoint this when I wrote up the original scouting report that I had that I thought he was a downfield player. The average distance of the target or the A dot needs to be further downfield for him. I think he can do things uh, not necessarily on the vertical plane, jumping over people, but really I think he can win vertically and, and, and create separation in a unique way. And I hope they start to figure that out. So um, outside zone, um, you know, I want to go through some of the run concept stuff that they ran on offense. So I have them at six carries for 20 yards on that. Clearly not good enough, just over two yards per carry. And uh, not, again, not their strength this year. Uh, compared to what it's been in previous years, and I think we all know why that is the case. Uh, I have inside zone three times, which I actually thought the look of the three inside zones were strong. Only six yards, but they had really promising looks that the backs just didn't hit well, and I was I was kind of surprised by that. The power counter stuff was non-existent. It's the first time I've seen them not use a ton of gap schemes. Only one time did they use power or counter, and they only ran for four yards. The two concepts they relied on on this one, this is their huge game plan staple. They wanted to run some inside zone. I think if they'd have had some more success with it, they would have used it more. But two concepts, pin pull, which accounts for 12 for 70. Sorry, counts 12 times because I'm, I'm adding the 16-yard touchdown to that to that number. So I'm going to give them 12 for 74, obviously up over five, six yards per carry. All they were doing was taking the slot receiver, usually DPJ because he's a bigger body, having him pin the edge, and they were looping around the tackle and pulling him around, having everybody kind of run the lateral course from the line of scrimmage, the offensive line, and they had a lot of success with it. It was their most successful run. They ran it from the gun, and they ran it from under center, and I really enjoyed what they did with that. So uh, pin pull, getting an extra body on the perimeter was very effective for them against the 49ers front making that that edge, uh, seal that edge inside, work around him. I loved it. Really good concept from Callahan and Stefanski in this one. Single puller, not double puller. They ran some double pullers, a couple uh, of, of those that were too slow. The Niners' backside pursuit figured it out, so they went away from it. I, I enjoyed that. The trap stuff was also good. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a concept called crunch, which is a three-puller trap. You're pulling you know, both guards and then you're also pulling a, a wing tight end, usually the three, the one, and then sometimes you're kicking out that end, right, the uh, upfield edge with the wing tight end. So you're getting three pull effect uh, players on a play. That's called crunch. Now, they also ran it with just two guards, not the tight end. So they ran it from a triple and a double trap, and they ran it four times for 39 yards, upwards of 8.5 yards per carry. Obviously, that was the one that broke the Jerome Ford uh, touchdown, or sorry, not touchdown, but the 22-yard key run to put them deep in the 49ers territory to kick that game-winning field goal. So I want to give them credit for that. I thought it was really good stuff um, to mix up the gun run stuff because there's a lot of stuff from the gun. So credit where it's due. I liked the trap wrinkle. I liked introducing more inside zone, and you can see how that play can become more effective for them. So I give them a passing mark on that. Um all right, coverage-wise, what they saw in this game, the Niners didn't run any cover zero. They did run cover one six times. 
The Browns went one for three for 26 yards against it and left. Again, go check out the Chalk Talk on the OBR YouTube. They left multiple big throws on the field where the quarterback did not see the middle of the field the way he needed to see it for easy, quick drop-offs against pressure, blitz pressure. Walked up mugging seven guys at the line of scrimmage. There were some easy, blown coverage assignment stuff that the Browns could have popped huge plays on. One to Njoku, one to Elijah Moore. Those plays were sitting there waiting to be made. So uh, they left they left some, some, some meat on the bone there. So the uh, other coverages the Niners ran, they ran cover two 22 times. The Browns went 7 of 10 for 41 yards against it. Cover three they ran 22 times, 6 of 13 for 88 yards. So their most productive was against cover three. Uh, ironically, usually to... Uh, I think both of those long catches from Amari Cooper were against cover three, kind of on that solo side, the Mabel side, uh, where it was locked up in man-to-man. So they took advantage of that. Not a high completion percentage, but a very effective 88 yards. And then cover four is what gave them some fits. Um, 22 snaps of cover four for the 49ers. And uh, they went four of 10, 19 yards in the two interceptions. I actually think one of those cover fours charted is cover six, the interception, because you had that down corner. Now, it could have been a poach check where the corner's kind of playing man-to-man on the backside and safety's reading three uh, to the trip side. But I actually, when I watch it, I see that safety playing half-field coverage to the boundary where the ball was thrown and that corner underneath it playing underneath coverage on Amari, not fearing anybody else coming to his side because he's got the will backer to take the back and the flat, all of that. So I think it was just a bracket coverage. That's the point of cover six is to underneath over top bracket, a guy who's giving you fits and Walker went to the well one too many times there. So um, otherwise personnel, the, the 49ers ran base personnel 19 times, nickel 57. So they weren't very exotic in their, their personnel usages. Didn't think that was a problem. And again, a lot of these stats come from true media. So I want to make sure to be clear about that. Uh, those are, uh, it's a great resource. It incorporates some data from other sites. I think it does a really nice job. Uh, true media does. And then obviously we'll go through some PFF player grades too. But uh, again, the game plan was pretty simple. They did not um, uh, feel the need to, to take shots downfield in this game, except for one-on-one opportunities to Amari where they thought they had an advantage, right? The screen game was dynamite and the run game was diverse from the gun. And I think they went to empty and they tried to hit some quick hitters. Now, one of those quick hitters was uh, to Fred Warner's stomach and it ran the other way. Quarterback didn't read it right. I don't think PJ Walker played well at all in this game. They left a lot of points or at least opportunities to continue drives on the field. And again, if you want to understand even more detail than this pod, go check out um, go check out that that chalk talk that is on YouTube. It's a couple hours long, or an hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes. But I thought uh, I thought again, there's just some some great stuff covered there. So from empty, I want to make sure I let you guys know what that looks like in the game. The Browns had ten dropbacks from empty, wasn't strong. Five of ten, fifty seven yards, and like I said, that interception where. P.J. Walker's looking left side, comes back to the right to throw the stick, and he just doesn't see Fred Warner because of blockers in front of him. So he missed it. He missed Warner, and obviously it turns into an interception. But otherwise, it wasn't it wasn't really bad, in my opinion, from that look, uh, from the empty look with Walker spacing out, getting some more defined reads. I didn't have a problem with them using it with an experienced quarterback the way Walker's. But the, the, the mug pressure stuff, he didn't handle very well. And uh, they, he has to be able to handle it. They have to be able to get that football out to open answers right in front of their face. you got to stay calm under chaos in those moments. And that's hard, but you have to be able have to be able to do that. The Browns, again, only used, uh, I think I'm seeing here, I want to make sure I'm correct, they only used motion on uh, 42%, 44% of snaps, which is, which is, again, juxtaposed next to the motion percentage of 64%. 
from San Francisco is not where I'd like to be. I'd like to be using more, right? San Francisco is very creative with motion that you can say, well, the 49ers didn't really find much effect with that motion, but it does. It, it impacts things, right? They ran three times the 49ers did on jet sweeps or fly sweeps for something like 30 yards, 31 yards. Like, you, you know, you're window dressing stuff. You got to be creative when you don't have a bunch of explosive guys in the passing game. You got to be able to create some of those, uh, some of those confusion moments with motion. And, and even, though the 49ers didn't get great results. I thought their process was still pretty good with the motion and getting guys on the Brown side a little bit confused on a couple different situations. One popped on a bootleg for 33 yards, I think. They missed CMC on another isolated motion uh, up the seam. So they had some opportunities, and, and again, we'll talk about that in a bit. But from the offensive standpoint, I thought everything was very sound game plan-wise. They missed some throws they should have made. If they hit a couple of those throws, didn't get those two screens, 115, 120-plus for a touchdown called back. Again, you're talking about a lot more points. David Njoku graded really well. Strong run blocking grade, strong offense grade, strong pass reception grade. Uh, he's your best mark. Dewan Jones grade strong. Ethan Posich is at the top. Amari Cooper at the top. Kareem Hunt, those are your top performers. At the bottom is P.J. Walker with a 26.4 pass grade. Not sure I've seen a pass grade that low in a while. So, um, again, though, tough situation, guy arriving late to the practice squad, all of that. And uh, he made some plays. He did enough. Uh, enough. He tried to, <laughs> tried to give it away a little bit at the end, but, but, but did enough. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is at the bottom with the 51.7. David Bell, Harrison Bryant, Jordan Akins, and Elijah Moore. But, again, those aren't, those aren't bad grades. Those are just fine, right? Those aren't like they got bad marks. The only bad mark was P.J. Walker. So if you're talking about passing-wise, let's go through this. He had one big-time throw which I am imagining was the ball to Cooper up the right sideline. I'm thinking, I could be wrong about that, but that's the one I'm thinking. Uh, otherwise, he had five turnover-worthy throws, which is a 12.2%, 8.5 A dot. He was pressured on 16, uh, 16 dropbacks, so that number's pretty high, right? That that pressure number, uh, and some of it he welcomed, right? He, he was responsible for it, but I actually want to double-check True Media. So they had 15 hurries for the 49ers to seven for the Browns. So that number's pretty high. Not as many, um, quite as many hits. Uh, the, actually, sorry, sacks. The Browns had um, only had two sacks, while the Niners had three. But again, I think that from a from the perspective of of keeping your quarterback clean, I didn't think it was quite as as good as you needed it to be. So let's continue to go through this. Looking at at Walker uh, from a more granular standpoint in this one, he had kept clean. He was thirteen of twenty one. He had 147 yards in an interception when he was under pressure was when the grade really slipped. 5 of 13, 45 yards in interception. Not blitzed. He was 13 of 24 for 140. And then when he was blitzed, he was 5 of 10 for 52. That was his best mark. So when he, when he was actually blitzed, they erased somebody from coverage. He, he earned his best mark. The screen stuff was 5 of 6 for 26 yards. But as we know, you take away those two penalties, you're talking about some really big plays in the screen game. Um Play action, he was 5 of 10 for 45 yards. Non-play action, 13 of 24 for 147. And then the non-play actions where he had his two interceptions. So the medium distance, he was 0 for 7. So all throws in the 10 to 19-yard range, he was 0 for 7 with a 14.6 passing grade. The the deep throws, 2 of 6 for 84 yards, so he gets a strong grade there. And then in the in the short range, he was 10 of 13, so he was kind of fine on those as well. But as we know, he left a lot of meat on the bone in the medium range of the field. And uh, obviously the Browns will try to get that corrected with whoever's at quarterback this week. Receiving grades, David Njoku a 74.3, and uh, Kareem Hunt a 70.5, Amari Cooper uh, 68.7. Again, I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with that because to me, Cooper was the best player on the field uh, on offense for the Browns and the best player on the field. I think outside of Fred Warner, 
the most productive player on the field between the, the Niner defense and the Browns offense. So don't really like that. Uh, and, and in my opinion, he had one contested catch that he made. So that helped. He had three first down catches. He ran nine plays from the slot, 29 wide. Uh, the most slot snaps went to Moore for 20 and Joku had 14 in the slot. He had 23 in line. And then David Bell had six snaps from the slot. And then Donovan Peoples Jones had six from the slot as well. Uh, again, want to make sure I'm telling you the correct number here. Elijah Moore had 19, four of seven for 19. And again, stop running the jet sweep stuff and just use him as a downfield receiver. The last drive where he had multiple dig routes where he was wide open are sort of indicative of the struggle with getting him the football right now. It's really, really frustrating. I'm sure for him and then, you know, who's calling the offense to try to figure that stuff out. Run game 68.8 for Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt 68.5. Those are your run grades. I thought Ford got better as the game went on. He had 64 yards after contact, seven missed tackles, forced three runs over 10 yards. He ran 11 gap scheme runs is what they're calling it, six zone. I think they label pin pull as a gap concept, so that's why that number's high. And then there were the two breakaway runs, one for Kareem Hunt's touchdown, 16 yards, which is, again, over 15-yard runs. And then there was one for Jerome Ford. He also had another couple 14-yard runs on that pin pull stuff. So... From a receiving standpoint for both of those guys, they they did fine with targets in their general direction. Kareem Hunt had a five and a half yard prop bet number that I thought everybody should be playing. He literally caught the first ball for like 11 yards. So that hit really quickly. 24 total yards for him receiving on the game. So you like to see that. It was a good one-two punch. Those guys were good enough. We're running for 130 yards between the two of them. Uh, Blocking-wise, Easton Postage was an 84.2. Pass blocking grade, 73.8 for Harrison Bryant. When he was tasked to pass block two times, your other best lineman, Wyatt Teller, 72.3, even despite the holding on that screen that was that was uh, really unfortunate. And then a 67.4 for Dewan Jones. He gave up one pressure. Wyatt Teller gave up a hurry uh, in this one as well. And uh, Dewan actually did give up a sack. That was on the miscommunication. The field goal before, so the field goal that made it 17-16, the Browns had a third and 10 in the 49ers brought four off the right side and Dewan just didn't block Bosa. He went outside instead of staying inside for the immediate threat. So that one falls on him. Uh, and that's, that's why he's responsible for it. But that was the only misstep for him. I thought he played Bosa about as well as you could ask for. Jedrick Wills gets a 58.3. He was charted with three pressures, but I did think he was better. It's his best run blocking game by far. And I really did think that he played better in the, uh, in the pass protection phase as well. Michael Dunn, the other starter um, who's dealing with a calf injury. We'll see what comes of that. A 38.6 pass blocking grade. He gave up three pressures, including a sack hit in a hurry. So not exactly his banner day. Run blocking grades. Uh, in Joku, 25 run blocking snap gets the highest number. Second highest is Jed Wills on 35 run blocking snaps. Amari Cooper and Peoples-Jones do well from the wide receiver spot. Dewan Jones is 74.1. 71.4 for Teller and a 67.2 for Postage. I thought the line blocked fairly well. A couple times where there was a miscommunication or they didn't climb the way I would like them to climb, but for the most part, I thought they were fine. And, and I really think it was probably one of their better games of the year. Now, the twist stuff that's going on still on the left side, not being able to handle those text stunts or the DN looping twists, like DT twists, right? There's two names for them, text and um, whatever, you know, some place is calling something different, but you're getting, it's a, it's a tackle in twist. They are really struggling off the left side. If you occupy the center and leave it two over two with the twist, whether it's Batonio and, and Wills or in this one done and Wills, 
They're not getting it done on those. Teams keep scheming it up. They have to find a way to handle those. So kind of frustrating to still see that, still see that happening. From true pass sets, because I like to look at those, because they really give you a feel for the hardest thing to do, which is block when the defense knows they can rush without worrying about the run. Michael Dunn struggled the most. That's where his three pressures came from. Jed also struggled a lot. He got a 49.2. That's where his three quarterback hurries came from. But Posich, Teller, DeWand, all pretty strong in those moments. So you just needed Michael Dunn to play a little bit better. You needed uh, Jed to eliminate some of those hurries. But again, I don't think Jed's hurries were that big of a problem. But but Dunn did struggle in those moments. So that's the offense. Um, I don't really want to spend too much time uh, being rude to pro football focus, but these defensive grades are they're being sort of updated and modified here. I've noticed that from yesterday to today on rewatch or they'll, they'll regrade, they have gotten better. So like they, they have increased the grades of a lot of these players. So JOK comes in in a 91.3, Dalvin Tomlinson in 82.9, Alex Wright a 73.4, Miles Garrett, which was below 70, is now up to a 72.5. And then Juan Thornhill's a 70.9. So those are your guys in the 70s. Shelby Harris on 16 snaps is at a 35. Grant Delpit, I don't really even remotely understand the Grant Delpit grade. He gets a 48.9. Zadarius Smith a 50.3. Newsom a 50.4. And when a defense plays as well as the Browns did and tied their, their coverage, a lot of man coverage in this one. So you're talking... Let me see here. I want to make sure I have this number exactly right. 32 snaps of cover one. They were super aggressive. Put these guys on islands. Ask them to do hard things and let the pass rush stuff impact. 20 pressures for the Browns defense in this game is extremely strong. Right, That is a great number to put up. And it was it was everybody's. Darius had four. You know, Maurice Hurst had three. Okoronkwo had three. Miles had three going against Trent Williams so often, right? You had two from Tomlinson, two from JOK, including a sack. It was it was really good. And I am glad that they have upped the grades a little bit because I did not agree with some of the early reviews that were coming in on this game because you know the, the 20 stop tackles are great, but they did miss 10 tackles. That number's still too high, and a lot of those missed tackles came late in the game. They need to, to tighten that up. But I thought they played well, man. And I thought they had the perfect game plan for forcing Brock Purdy into feeling uncomfortable with tying in man coverage that funneled. So what I mean by that is the Browns would play a single high safety in the middle of the field and they would play a low hole sitter. Sometimes it was a safety rotating late to late middle at the second level or sometimes it was just a Mike Backer sitting middle of the field and they would play outside leverage and not give up any routes to the outside and funnel things to the middle and pursue and make it a really congested throwing line of sight for the quarterback, and then make it a really difficult ball to throw between, again, defenders sort of crowding that area, both the help defenders and then eventually the pursuit of the man. And they just wanted Purdy to make mistakes over the middle. And he did. He threw one behind that was picked off. Could have been a second to Newsom. He got a ball tipped by JOK that could have been picked off. Like, this was the perfect game plan in the conditions, which were just a little windy, just a little wet at times. And again, against a team that was not accustomed to being really challenged in the way the Browns did. They only played cover two three times, but the cover one stuff, they were four of 17 for 61 yards was Purdy with his interception against that. The Browns had three pass breakups. Now, the touchdown did come against man coverage, but that was a screen. I mean, it's a screen. It's going to happen every now and again. But the Browns having a 7.5 QBR against and man this year is wild. 
It's really crazy. They were they were so good. They played 20 snaps of cover three and gave up six of eight for 33 yards. I don't think they're quite as effective a zone team as you'd like them to be. They played a couple snaps of cover six, but not against a throw. And they did do some cover two invert, which I did like. That Ayuk ball was against some cover two invert that uh, almost got caught deep, but Ward made a play on it. You feel really good about game plan and performance in this one, applying what they like to do, right? Like they played in the backfield so much on the defensive line where McCaffrey in weeks one through five had a 1.8 yards before contact. The Browns were creating what Schwartz likes to call that backfield maze where the the running back has to guide himself left and right and through different levels of defenders. There was a negative 0.18 yards before contact. That's how far the Browns were consistently playing in the backfield. And that's even with that 27 yard run in the first quarter happening on a fluke thing where Zadarius jumped off sides and kind of quit the play thinking it would be blown dead. They didn't blow it dead and he was out of his gap. That turned into 27 yards. So, you know, I can't really speak highly enough about this situation. Like if you take out the, the jet sweeps, which is a simple adjustment that I think they'll be able to make, that's three carries for 31 yards on jet sweeps. You're talking about that 27-yard fluke play. They ran for 108. You take those out, they ran for like 45 yards. Like those are very fixable things. They just dominated the line of scrimmage. You really watch the film. You see how much they took the physicality to the 49ers. Guys like Kittle were beat up. Trent Williams was beat up. You you knocked McCaffrey out of the game. Debo Samuel left early. Like the, it's not by just like non-contact and like they were getting after San Francisco up front and dominated dominated the line of scrimmage. Okay, from a run defense perspective. The Browns said, and I thought Miles played his best run defense of the year. I'm glad he he got that number chalked up a little bit because it was awful on first watch that they graded him the way he did. He had a 74 um, run defense grade, a seven, uh, uh, two tackles, two stop tackles. He was really, really effective. The best I've, again, most engaged and best I've seen him in run defense. JOK, average depth of tackle was negative three yards. He had two st- a single t- stop tackle, but... Um, two assisted tackles in there as well, 70.8. Dalvin Tomlinson is 70.3. Okoronkwo is 69.9. All of those grades were really strong. Four stop tackles for Rodney McLeod, right? Um, the missed tackles, like pretty much everybody had one. They, they charted Delpit with two. Still think that's a little bit rough. Uh, I mean, again, those the one missed tackle meant nothing to the entire operation. The last missed tackle, the collective group did on that, on that Brandon Ayuk. Uh, Brandon IU catch and run uh, on the last possession, but I thought Grant Delpit against uh, against Kittle was was extremely exceptional. And pass rush, eighty two point six for Taki, but that's only two passers. Your highest graded pass rushers are uh, Dalvin Tomlinson seventy eight point six and Miles a seventy eight point five on eight pass rushes. JOK is seventy point eight, Zadarius is seventy point six, and then um, uh, Okoronkwo gets a sixty three point eight. Those are the the top of the list. And I think Alex Wright also deserves a shout out. He didn't play a ton of snaps in this game, but his snaps were really effective snaps. So he played um, 15 snaps. He had the third highest defense grade, set the edge like a menacing SOB a couple times against 49ers run concepts. There was a specific uh, dual, uh, you know, uh, a fullback. We call it like a YF counter where there's a kick out from the fullback and up and through from the tight end or vice versa. I think it was the tight end kicking out fullback up and through and he blew up Kittle so well and got low and uh, rooted him out that the fullback couldn't even get up through the hole to lead block 
and it ended up being like a one-yard gain or a no gain because nobody was there for Delpit who stuck Christian McCaffrey on a third and two or a short yardage situation. So I thought Alex Wright deserved the credit for that, and again, I thought Mo Hurst deserves a special shout-out too because he was really good, and I thought Jordan Elliott also played a pretty good game as well, even though his grades are not quite as strong as I anticipated they might be. Um, uh, closing here with coverage, a 91 grade from JOK. He was exceptional in all the right places, sniffing out screens. It was really good. And again, these are hard. You're playing man. It's a lot of like, it can look like somebody's open, even though you've covered up to the point that they, the ball couldn't be thrown. So like the grading of the coverage is a little tricky because you'd look at that and you'd be like, oh, that guy's open, but the coverage has already been impacted or sorry, the route and the timing and the quarterback have been impacted by the pass rush. So I think you always see higher grades in zone coverage because it's like keeping everything in front of you, whereas man coverage, you're inviting some of those difficult throws and it can look like you're beat. So you see like Denzel, Emerson, and Delpit with the worst coverage grades, but these guys gave up. Like if you look at between Denzel and Emerson, there was three catches on 11 targets. Delpit gave up one of one for one yard. I mean, Emerson gave up 58 yards largely because they're chalking him up with that 33-yard Ayuk bootleg blown coverage. I guess they're saying it's man-to-man instead of cover three. So, you know, again, Emerson gives up 58 yards between all of them. You're talking about 67 yards on on like 12 targets. And these guys are getting bad grades. I, I don't really see it that way. So they played well. The grades on that in the coverage realm are, are really largely uh, in, in, in a relevant thing to me because I thought they funneled the way they were supposed to funnel. They got their hands on the football. They had three pass breakups. They had the interception, could have had a second. And then, you know, JOK was, was everywhere at the linebacker level in one of his better games as a pro. So all around really strong. From the special team side, your leading snap guys, Matthew Adams, Mike Ford, DeAnthony Bell, Pierre Strong, Tony Fields all get above 19 your best grades Pierre Strong and Mike Ford McLeod gets a strong grade in 10 uh, snaps largely punt coverage for him uh, Newsom in his two is highly graded uh, and then Alex Wright uh, Diabate Matt Adams are also at the top for you as well at the bottom you have DeAnthony Bell Cameron Mitchell from your large snap count getting guys and I think some of that is some contained stuff on punt. And then there was a couple kickoffs that I think they they blew some coverage on, but it didn't end up haunting them all too much. But I thought Bjorquez was pretty good in the punting aspect of things. He had four punts, so he graded over 70. Four punts, a y- yards per attempt of 54.5, a strong 46.3 net, three inside the 20. Two of those punts were returned, only 13 yards. I just thought he was good. He flipped the field when they needed the field to be flipped. He's been a really steady punter. Not the best in the league, but a very steady punter for the Browns as they needed it. And also, obviously, you have to talk about the kicking game, which was exceptional. Hopkins did miss the uh, the first 40 to 49 yard range. I think that was a li- like a like a deep 40s kick. He did miss that one, but then he was he was he was nails on everything else. He made his PAT and then made uh, the next two in the 40 to 49 range, and then made that key. 50 yarder to make it 17 16 after a difficult sack or if he doesn't make that kick the game is effectively over so he makes that one huge kick in that moment off of a momentous 49er sack where you thought this could impact the kick it didn't he drills it and then makes the 20 uh 25 yarder to obviously give him a 19 17 lead which ended up being your final score so listen that's pretty much all i have this is a quick version largely because uh, we lost the audio earlier, but I think it is overall uh, a, a pretty good coverage of the game, a pretty good idea of what happened, who played well. Don't lean into grades all too much. I'm telling you, like the man coverage versus zone coverage to me is is the is the grade 
discrepancy and the Browns played at such a high percentage of man and they're so good at it. They're so effective tying that coverage to their to their pass rush and it's really exciting to see that stuff coming together for them. So overall, pretty pleased with how your Browns played. They have opportunities to clean up the offense. They might get Watson back this week. We'll see. Quarterback makes a few more plays in that game. It's probably not even that close. They probably get a couple more field goals or even another touchdown and it's not that close. So uh, a really good momentum uh, building win. I talked to Andrew about that earlier, and I hopefully they can keep building on this and get some good news on the injury front this week and bounce back and be ready to go. So tomorrow is your mailbag episode. Then you get with Jordan Zerm and, and, and Andrew again on Thursday. A lot of good stuff coming up. Submit your questions. If you have not done that already, go to Twitter or go to the OBR website and shoot me a message. Be happy to answer those questions for you guys. So thanks for stopping by. Thanks to Andrew for being here as well earlier. Uh, apologize for the tardiness of the pod, but hopefully it still reaches everybody it needs to reach, maybe on your drive home or something of that nature. Uh, and again, you guys make it all worth it, so thanks for being here. We'll catch you tomorrow. Go Browns. Go Browns.